Welcome into another episode of the Patrick Jones Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Jones. I'm a former hitting coach in the Baltimore Orioles organization, and now I'm currently helping high school baseball players get recruited to play in college. In today's episode, my guest is John Watson. John is currently the head coach at Chandler Gilbert Community College. It is a Division II junior college baseball program located in Chandler, Arizona. John is a longtime baseball coach. He's coached at the high school level, college, and even professional. In 2022, it was his first season as a head college baseball coach at Chandler Gilbert. And in today's episode, we're focusing on junior college baseball. So what are the differences between a Division I versus a Division II junior college? How does they differ between a Division I college baseball four-year program versus a JUCO baseball program? Is the competition that much different? What types of players should be considering playing junior college baseball? Are there any stories of players who went on to get scholarships at four-year schools who started out at a JUCO? And how has the transfer portal affected junior college baseball and and players who are at four-year schools and players who are currently at the JUCO level? So today's episode is all about junior college baseball. So if you're interested in learning about it, you're going to want to stick around because we're covering everything. And John does a a fantastic job. He's had so much experience being an assistant coach at the JUCO level and now a head coach as well. So he, he is able to answer all the questions I throw at him. For those coaches who are listening to this podcast and constantly looking to evolve and get better, check out my weekly newsletter. It's called The Hitting Chronicle, where each week at 9 a.m. on Tuesday, I send out a newsletter on ways to improve on anything from the mental game to drills you can do in a cage and and everything in between. So it's all about hitting development. So if you head to my website, patrickjonesbaseball.com, you can sign up for the free newsletter. It's called The Hitting Chronicle right when you get to the homepage. So patrickjonesbaseball.com, put your email in if you want to learn and continue to grow as a coach and receive The Hitting Chronicle every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Ladies and gentlemen, here is my episode with John Watson. All right, we now welcome on John Watson to the podcast. John, appreciate you coming on the show today. No problem, Patrick. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So you've you've played junior college baseball. You've been an assistant coach, junior college baseball. Now you're a head junior college baseball coach. At what stage of your life did you know that, man, I I want to be a part of, of junior college baseball for the long haul? That's a great question. It's interesting. I was a high school coach for seven, really 10 years as an assistant and really enjoyed what I was doing, but I just, you know, I wanted to be at a higher competitive level of, of the game. And I also knew I, I didn't want to move all over the country. I, I knew as a, I wanted to pursue a college baseball coach for me personally, being in Arizona is nice because there's a number of, of junior colleges in the area, especially where, where we live in Maricopa County, there's you know, there, there's a number of colleges here and it's, it's where I wanted to be. I just knew I always wanted to be leading young men at a, at a higher level through the game of baseball. And I felt like junior college was a really good opportunity for me to be able to do that. I never really had huge aspirations of becoming a head coach. 
but the more I got into it, like this is, this is the role that I, I, I really, really love being in this, in this position. So. I, I read when, when you took the job at Chandler Gilbert, you, you were quoted as saying that, you know, it was a dream of yours to become a head college coach, assuming that's what, you know, within the last couple of years, last year was your first year as being a head college coach. If you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, wow. That's a really good question. I think it'd be time management, just being able to, to manage my time more effectively to not feel like I was so scatterbrained all over the place. And then the other piece too, is just continue to go and ask for advice, ask other coaches who've been in it and been doing it. I've been very fortunate to have, you know, my athletic director was our head coach before I became it. So I was his assistant coach for a long time. And so uh, having him to lean on was, was pretty, was pretty helpful. And then having other coaches around the game has been very helpful for me to, to get other ideas from and, and to allow me to not not feel so scatterbrained and, and stretched then all the time has, has been nice. High management. That's, that's something that I, it's funny. You said that I was just listening to a podcast with James Clear and, and Tim Ferriss. And obviously James is the one who wrote the book, Atomic Habits. And it's kind of the, the guru, if you will, on, on time management and habits. How have you gone about being able to, to manage your time better this year compared to last year? Well, this year I, I've done something different with our pitching staff, which has helped. You know, last year as the head coach, I was still the pitching coach and I'm still the pitching coach this year. And I felt like, you know, our pitchers practicing at the same time as, as our position players, I felt very scattered because I felt like I had to be involved in the offense and I had to be involved in the defense and had to be involved in the pitching and just felt like I'd never had a clear direction as to anywhere that I was going. And I felt like our pitchers didn't get better because nobody was really spending a, a considerable amount of time with them. So this year, just in terms of direction and time management and allowing me to stay focused on, on one thing at a time, I start our pitchers earlier. So we start at one o'clock with our pitchers now. And that's, that gives me an hour and a half to two hours with just our pitchers to really, really help develop our guys because our position players now practice at 2.30. They show up at 2.30 instead of, you know, 1.30 or whatever we were doing last year. So now I can manage my time better and not be so split between so many things at one time. So our pitchers have gotten better. Our position players are getting better. So that, that's been a, a big help for us. So maybe it doesn't sound like time management because I'm on the field longer, but I, I feel like I don't, I don't leave the field as exhausted mentally because I'm not, worried about so many things at one time, I can really focus with each individual pitcher or group of pitchers. And then I can go focus with base runners or infield defense or hitters or whatever it is that we need to do. Cause I'm not worried about who's throwing a bullpen right now. Tell you what, the, the, I've never coached in college, but the one thing I have noticed about coaches who, who are coaching or have coached in college is they're, they're kind of, they're a Swiss army knife. They, they, they can do teach so many different parts of the game because they, they had to, right? Because they didn't, you know, when I was in professional baseball, there was, you know, there was an outfield guy, there was an infield guy, and there was a pitching, and then it was just hitting. But it seems as if when you're a college coach, especially at a JUCO, you got to know a little bit about everything because you just, you only have so much time and you don't have the, the resources that, you know, bigger division one schools or really professional teams have. 
Yeah, you, you really do have to be a Swiss Army knife, especially at junior college, because, you know, in, in our situation, my coaching staff is not full time. Right? My my offensive coach, my hitting coach and outfield coach, he's a he's a full time teacher. And there's days that he's got to be at school because of meeting. And so he might not be able to get to practice because of something. So I've got to be able to like step in and and deliver a very similar message to what he's delivering with our guys. And then you know, our infield coach that this fall also has a full-time job and there's days that he's got to be in the office till maybe five o'clock and he can't, you know, get out to the field. So I've got to be able to teach infielders and like, I've got to be able to just have a grasp on everything that we're doing and, and be able to fill in like that. So that's, I feel like my role in a lot of ways is, you know, as a head coach is kind of like, you got to set the culture and mm-hmm. then you got to fill in the gaps where that, that are missing because your coaching staff might not be able to be there or you just don't, you, you can't find a guy who's willing to work for nothing. Right. And you've got to fill that, fill that spot. Is that pretty normal at the junior college level to, to not have the coaches be full-time? I, I think it depends on, on where you're at, where we're at in our, in our district. So we're in Maricopa County and we, we've got a number of athletic programs and, and some of our head coaches in other sports aren't even full-time. They have other jobs. So at our school, um, you know, none of our our assistant coaches are full-time and, and even in the, in our county, our district, there's a lot of schools that don't have full-time assistant coaches where, where you've got to find people who are willing to work for nothing yeah. and, and work, you know, 40 hour weeks for nothing. So, but that, and, and, that, and it's like that at, at even higher levels of college baseball too, right? You're not even really yeah. pay a lot. You hear of volunteers having to, to, to work other, other jobs during the day and then show up to practice. So it's, it's a little bit similar in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of, a lot of schools and programs are like that. You know, obviously you go to a power five and you've got, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. And even in junior college, like there's, there's schools in our conference who have full-time assistant coaches, you know, our conference is division one and division two. So some of the division ones, uh, they have full-time assistant coaches where they're getting paid by the school and benefits and all that stuff. We just don't have that. So we've, we've got to become a little bit more creative with how we manage our time and, and what we're, you know, sometimes what we're willing to give up in order to to get something. I also think our players have to become very, very good at, there's a lot of leadership opportunities for our players because we don't have somebody who's going to go out there and, and basically, you know, lead the stretch line because we've got other things that we have to be doing at that point in time, like drag a field or water or whatever. So yeah, it's a good opportunity for players to really develop a lot of different skills because we don't have full-time coaches. Is that the biggest difference between Division One JUCO and Division Two? Is is the resources? Yeah, the resources. The the biggest difference is the funding. I was, you know, looking at the NJCA rules and stuff like that. You know, the, the biggest difference between the two is is the scholarships and, and the housing. So Division Twos, we're not able to offer housing. We can't pay for housing through vouchers or scholarships or anything like that. So we don't like our school. We don't have housing on campus, and if we did, we we wouldn't be able to offer scholarships for that. Whereas the division one junior colleges oftentimes have housing on campus mm-hmm. and they're allowed to, to pay for that stuff or we don't have that. What, what would be a, like, what's a dream scenario for you when it comes to recruiting kids? Like, like what type of player was, would be a perfect fit for you at, at chain or Gilbert? For us, we're looking for athletes. Oh, we like our, our scholarship limitations are such where I'm not going to go out and be able to buy 
a 94 mile an hour arm. I'm not going to be able to buy a guy who's big time power and all that stuff. I, I just can't. I, I have our scholarships. I have 15 scholarships of $325. So I don't have, um, I don't have huge resources. Wait, can you repeat that again? You have 15 scholarships. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got 15 scholarships of $325. A per scholarship? Per scholarship. Okay. And that's so, for the year. Per, per semester. Yeah. Per, per semester. Yeah. So if I give a kid a scholarship, he's going to get $650 for the whole year. Now, granted, tuitions, if you're taking 15 credit hours, it's if you're in state, it's thirteen dollars to $1,500. So it's not extremely expensive, but I'm not, I'm not giving you a full scholarship. Because if I gave you $1,300, I'm at four scholarships. I can't build a program around four, four you know, four You better players. be Mike Trout. You better be really good. And, and I'm, I'm probably not going to get that kid anyway. Right. Um, so for us, we're looking for the kid who is a really good athlete because we feel like the athlete, the better the athlete you are, the, the better ceiling you have. The, as the game, the speed of the game progresses, you have to be able to progress with that speed. And we have found through a lot of testing and through a lot of the stuff that we do, we have found that the, the athletes who aren't as good don't progress as fast. So we're going to go out and try to find the, the your pitcher, like the, you know, 84 to 86, 87. And through the, the stuff that we do, we'll see if we can develop you into a, a 90 to 92 guy. We yeah. position guys like runners. We love guys who can run. I feel like that's a tool that is really hard to teach. <laughs> so I, I like, I like guys who can run a lot. I like highly athletic players who can play multiple positions. That, that to me is, is a big thing. On the offensive side, like, can you hit the ball hard forward? Like that's a big thing that we're looking for. You know, our conference is a Woodback conference. So it's, it's tough to evaluate some high school hitters sometimes when they're using aluminum because it's, it's a different game. It's all different game. So athleticism is probably the number one thing we're looking for. Is that normal across junior college baseball to be using wood bats? I think, I, I don't know other, other places use it. I know we are one of the only states that, that uses wood. Um, but what's interesting is so like when the, when our division one junior colleges, when they end up going to the, to the districts, they can use aluminum. And when they go to the world series, they use aluminum. So we'll use wood the entire year. Then we go to a national type of a tournament that we can use aluminum. Mm, interesting. Does that, this is an interesting question. When that happens, does that mess kids up? Like, does it, do they, since they've been using wood the entire year? I mean, I've always, it's just going back and forth between one and the other. I found over the years that it, some kids, the easier transition, other kids gets in their head a little bit. I, I don't know because we haven't had to do that yet. Hopefully get to do that soon. But I did talk to Central Arizona's coach of, about that same issue this summer, you know, cause they went to the world series last year mm -hmm. and he said it, it took a little bit to adjust, but once they adjusted, like you go look at their numbers in the world series last year, they hit so many home runs. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it, you know, you, you develop a, a wood bat swing, if you want to call it that, and then you continue using that same swing with aluminum. I think it. I think it translates a little bit. John, I got a, I got a hypothetical question for you. Say you have a, a son who's a, a junior in high school, so it's the spring of his junior year. He's got no offers from anybody, D1, D2. At what point would you recommend to him or bring it up that maybe he should consider going the JUCO route? Well, I mean, I, I, 
maybe it's a biased answer because I played junior college baseball, yeah. but I, I love junior college baseball. It was the best thing I could have done in, in my life. The problem is I think the perception of junior college is that it's just like recreational baseball or that it's not as good as, you know, a four-year school. And I think everyone's ego gets in the, in the way because you don't want to tweet out that you're going to a junior college. You'd rather tweet that you're going to a four-year school. Uh, but I would encourage a junior in high school to really, to go watch it. If you're in the area where you can go watch a junior college baseball game, go watch it. Cause most people have never seen junior college baseball. Now, I'm just looking at our conference this year as we get started. Uh, you, you know, we, we have a sophomore showcase, a division one, a division two showcase. And, you know, we played 10 innings this year in October and there was probably 10 arms in our game that were 90 plus. And then the division ones played, I think they played 18 innings. So there was 36 arms in that game. And I think 30 of those were 90 plus. And that's not including the freshmen that we all have, because those are just sophomores. And I know there's programs who, who didn't have all their sophomores even go to those games. Like I have two sophomores who didn't pitch in that game who are 90 plus. Mm -hmm. So like, I think in our conference, we're going to have, 50 to 60 arms that are 90 plus. It's going to be a pretty good conference. Yeah. So junior college baseball to me is not a letdown at all. So if you're a junior in high school and you don't have offers, pursue junior college. It could be a really, really rewarding experience, not only on the baseball side, but the relationship side. You know, I, I was fortunate enough to play junior college and division one baseball after that. And the relationships you form in junior college oftentimes are lifelong relationships that, that might not last. They might not be the same from a four-year school. I go look at just our alumni. They still hang out together. Really, we're on the field so much and we do so much together that their relationships are so strong after they leave junior college. Um, so I would not, I would encourage every, every junior in high school to look at it. And, and really evaluate what it is that you want. Is it a four-year school because you want to be able to just like stroke your ego or do you want to play college baseball? Right. Uh, most junior colleges in this country are very, very good. This is a very good brand of baseball. It's not, this isn't just like rec ball. It's, it's competitive and fun right. and it's challenging. Yeah. And I, and I would say to those kids who, who are out there who think that, that maybe amongst your friends, that you may have a higher status, but but amongst the people who really know the game of baseball, that that doesn't really impress anybody. Like I, I, I don't. If I see a kid committing to you know a Power Five school versus a, you know a JUCO or a high level JUCO or or dom is dominating at a JUCO, I don't necessarily think one's better than the other, right? Because I mean, it's just it's just not how it works. So you're not nobody at who knows the game of baseball is. Imp solely impressed just by you committing to a school like you haven't done anything what have you done you haven't done anything so and yeah and i i 100 agree i think if people just watch the game and and see i mean having all those arms thrown 90 plus is is that because are, are those kids being i want to say being overlooked but is there other issues is that why they're ending up at a juco is it the transfer portal like why do you, why is it or is it just there's just so many good players out there I think there's a lot of good players out there. I, I think it's a whole mix of, of everything. You know, I think the transfer portal is changing that. You know, you're looking at a high school senior, you know, is committed to, let's say, a, a power five school or a, a four-year school. 
And maybe that four-year school this year didn't do very well. Well, coaches are paid to win at that level. Like they, they've got to win to keep their job. So are you going to try to win with your, your true freshman coming in? Or are you going to try to win with guys who've already been in college baseball? Right. So what you're seeing is, you know, guys enter the portal and, and maybe, maybe that, that freshman didn't have as much time at the school they wanted to go to. And they see an opportunity at junior college and like, there's always opportunity. Like, if you're in a good arm, there's, there's going to be opportunity, especially at, at the junior college level. Like I'm not going to turn down an 88 guy. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's, that's, that's going to win in this conference. Uh, you know, we're going to develop and, and get better and, and turn you into a 91, 92 guy. So I think the portal's changing that a little bit. I also, just, I, like I said, I think there's a lot of really good baseball players out there now. There's a lot of guys who are physically stronger than they were. You know, I played in the nineties and kids coming in nowadays are way stronger than, than most guys in our program ever were. So I, I think there's a number of reasons, you know, I think the portal's a big one. And I also think players are just better. Has the portal changed how you go about recruiting, coaching? Yeah, it, it actually has. I, I learned that this year, just watching what's going on. You know, we, we recruited some high school seniors last year that I ended up going to some, some bigger schools, which is fine. And then, you know, schools didn't have a great year last year. And so they had to go after, after guys in the portal. And, and like I said, these high school freshmen coming in, have a hard time competing against 21 to 22 year old guys. I mean, the, the thing I, I, I talked to a lot of recruits about is, okay, when you were a freshman in high school, were you ready to compete against the 18 year old senior? You're 14 years old. Right. Well, no. Well, you're kind of in that same situation now, you know, you're, you're an 18 year old kid, you're competing against 21 and 22 year old guys. You know, are, are you ready for that? And, and of course, some guys think they are, which is fine. And then other guys might not be ready for that. And so with the portal, it, it, I, I know that I'm going to have to leave probably two letters of intent open every year because there's going to be one or two guys who are at a, at a school, at a four-year school that get cut at break. Mm. and are looking for a place. And it's hard for me to tell a, a, a guy at a four-year school, yeah, come in, but I've got no letter of intent or potentially scholarship money left for you. I'm not going to get that kid. So I've, I've got to keep, a, keep a, a couple open for that. And then I know in the summertime, I'm going to have guys who went to four-year schools who decide that they don't want to stay there and they're looking for another opportunity. So I used to, you know, when I took over last year, we were pretty heavy in recruiting and we, and we went out and tried to get a bunch of guys. Now we're, we're evaluating what we got to do and we got to leave a couple of things open because I know we're going to have opportunities in the summer to pick up guys. And I know we're going to have opportunities next November, December to pick up guys. Mm. So is it, is it frowned upon for it to work in reverse though, where a kid comes into your program and just tears it up all fall and word of mouth goes. Cause I hear kids tell me that, Oh, I got this coach texting me. I'm like, wait, you're at this other school right now playing in the fall. And he's texting you about going to the transfer portal to come to, to, to his school. I mean, as, as I know, you know, this is your second year as, as head coach, you've been coaching for a long time, but, and the transfer portal is, is pretty new, but is that frowned upon? For to kids in JUCO as a freshman to to leave. There's there's a lot of programs that want to keep their guys for two years. I have 
our coaching staff is always coming to this this mindset of we kind of understand who we are, right? We're we're a building block. We are a program that is is a stepping stone for people, right? We we know that's what our role is. We, we are not your permanent home. Uh, now we want you to love being here. This is where we want you to be. But if you go out and have a great freshman year, like your job is to move on. And my job is to, is really to get you out of here. Right. It's not like a four-year school where I'm I'm taking a kid and I'm gonna I'd like to keep this kid for at least three years. If he gets drafted, that's even better. And he's gone after three. But if I can keep him four, that's really good. That's that's not who we are. Uh, you know, our goal is to get guys out. I know last year, I mean it happened to us last year and this year. Last year, especially with COVID, that's changed some things. But last year we had a kid who was a third year guy, left-handed pitcher. It would have been really good for us last year. And there was just nothing left for him to take at Chandler Gilbert because he he was already going to school at Arizona State in the fall because he's already finished everything. And that break, he had the opportunity to move on to a Division II university. And it sucked for us. We would have could have used him drastically, but the right thing for him, the right thing for him was to get him out of here. And so he transferred that break last year to a four-year school and, and did very well. And just this year, had another third-year guy, would have been a great hitter for us this year. But the goal, we knew the goal from the very beginning of, of the summer last year was like, okay, you need to graduate so you can move on at break. And and he did. He was able to graduate, and he just left two days ago to go to his Division two school. So we we encourage that for our program because our, our program is is one built on on always taking care of the player first. And if that's the right thing for him and his his family, then that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna encourage. Yeah, that's awesome. W- what are some of the reasons that kids, outside of just opportunities of playing at a higher level, what are some of the reasons that kids go to JUCO? Maybe just in your program, like is there is there times when it's academic related, or is it times when it's financial related? Like what what are some of the reasons that that players would have to go to JUCO? I think number one is going to be academic. You know, maybe you're not a qualifier out of high school. And so you've got to, you've got to go get your two years and get your associate's degree to be able to be a qualifier. I think that's, in a lot of places, I think the academic piece is, is probably a, a big one. In Arizona, that's not such uh, a big deal um, because we have so many junior colleges and, 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 and it's so good that, that, that at least the competition is so good and the conference is so good that I don't think the academics are always the big reason why people go junior college here. Another one could be financial. You know, a four-year school costs uh, a lot of money. You know, I know for me, I, I played junior college baseball and it was great. I I got an academic scholarship of $500 a semester and I got a baseball scholarship of $100 and I got four books paid for and I got I got $130 back every semester. Right. So the financial side was great. Yeah. I got to live at home and I got to grow up. And that was, that was a big thing for me. Our guys, you know, we've got academic scholarship available for guys that are in state. Uh, You know, if you meet a certain requirement academically and now you can get 15 credit hours paid for, like, why would you go to a a four-year school to potentially sit on the bench, to not have a ton of opportunity to maybe go to school for free and live at home and grow up? Right. So on the financial side, that that's a a pretty big thing. And even if you don't get academic scholarship, the in-state guy is paying 
1500 bucks, you know, for, for 15 credit hours. Like it's, it's not spending $35,000 a year to go somewhere. What, what, what would the out of state guys be paying? It depends on where you're at. So we've got the Western undergraduate exchange. So basically the whole Western part of the United States from New Mexico, Utah, Idaho, Washington, Oregon, even the, I think North and South Dakota are in it as well. And then obviously California and Hawaii, Alaska, those guys pay 150% of what an in-state student pays. So our in-state guys pay $85 a credit hour. So a guy who's on the Western undergraduate would pay $126 a credit hour. Now, everybody else on the other side of the country are paying roughly 300 and something dollars a credit hour. So it gets a little bit more expensive depending on where you live. That's just, so th that's why for the most part, if you look at the rosters in junior college baseball, that's why they're usually around the, the players live in that state or, or at least close to the area. Yeah, usually, usually now there's some, you know, there's some scholar like, and for us, it's for on the division two side. And, and I don't know about other schools. I can just tell you about where we're at. My $325, <laughs> my huge scholarship that I'm able to give out, I can only give that to in-state players. Um, so, so out-of-state players are paying for it on their own. But we have, we have out-of-state players. Like we have a few of those, but the majority of our roster is built up both from guys in-state in and, and really around where we're at. So the out-of-state players on your roster, what are they roughly paying? Depending on where you're at. Like range. Guys who are in the Western undergraduate are are probably paying roughly $10,000 a year with their living expenses. When that's even gone up, obviously the housing market has changed and, and rents have changed. You know, a couple of years ago, you could get an apartment in our area, a two bedroom and, and pay 1200 bucks a month, which is pretty affordable when you got a roommate and you're paying 600 bucks a month for rent. Now that same apartment's going for 21, 2200 a month. So, you know, costs have gone up for out-of-state guys because we don't, we can't provide housing. So the cost for housing has, has gone up. We get some international guys and guys from, you know, on the Eastern part of the country or, you know, everything from the central and Eastern part. Those guys are paying with living expenses and stuff, you know, roughly, you know, 20,000 a year potentially. Are you reaching out to, to players most of the time when recruiting? Are they reaching out to you? Like what's, what's happening the most of the time on the players that you're getting? In-state or out-of-state? I guess just in general, like on your, on your roster, like if you look at your roster right now, how have you been able to get those players? Well, we're lucky because we're here in, in Arizona and like there's, you know, Perfect Game and PBR and USA Baseball and Prospect Wire. They all run tournaments at the spring training complexes here. Right. Mm -hmm. So my recruiting coordinator is a, is a guy who does a lot of stuff for prospect wire. So he'll see 3000 kids every summer. And that that's, that's how we evaluate guys is, is summer ball is, is where the evaluation takes place. But the high school season is, is really important for us because, you know, oftentimes summer ball is, is really your tools and the high school season is how do you actually play the game of baseball inside of a team concept? Because that's what's important to us. Like, how are you going to help us win baseball games? I don't really care that. Right? I do care if you're good, obviously, but um, I want guys who can who can conform to what our team concept stuff is. So that's typically how we find guys is is through through those tournaments. And then we get a lot of guys. I mean, I get fifteen twenty emails a day from guys, and so is my recruiting coordinator, and and he he does most of the evaluation for us. Um, 
And it's, it's nice because he's been to professional scout school. And so he knows what players look like and he knows what I'm looking for. So he's kind of my screening process for the recruiting. And that way I can focus on our current roster where he does more of the like projections. Man, it sounds like you got a good setup. You got a guy who, who watches 3,000 high school baseball players this summer. And then, you know, also is a, you know, basically a, a professional scout too. He's gone to scouting school. That's, I mean, you have a pretty good setup. It's a really good setup. I'm very, very fortunate to have him in our, in our, co- on our coaching staff. He's worked for a few major league organizations. He's been to scout school. He's evaluated players. Um, yeah, it's very, very helpful to have him. <laughs> How do you, how are you able to go and watch high school players during the season when you're also in season two? It's really, really challenging. Our conference schedule is, is a very, it's a time consuming schedule. So we play every Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. So the only days that I can really go watch high school games are Thursdays. Uh, they play at four o'clock or whatever it is. So I can, you know, at least start practice and and do things with our guys and then get out early and go watch some high school games. We're fortunate we have lights. So if we have a night game, there's some times that, that I can get out and watch some high school games. But during the season, I don't, I honestly, I don't watch a, a ton of games because I've got a guy who can do that. Right. So, so you just send him to go and do that. Yeah. So he, he goes and watches most of our games, most of the high school games during the season for us. And then he'll tell me like, Hey, I need you to go watch this guy. Like, give me your take on this guy. So then I'll go watch that player. And I'll say, yeah, let's, let's go ahead. And then he'll make initial contact and then I'll, I'll get him on campus and do the rest from there. So are those players that you're going to watch seniors in high school normally? Yeah, normally. Now, obviously we go to a game and watch a senior. We're going to see freshmen and sophomores and juniors. Like we're going to see every class. Realistically, you can only really talk to the seniors. We, we can't talk to juniors and, and so on. So we're going to watch everybody, but we're going to bear down mostly on the seniors. And so like when he goes and watches games, like, it's crazy. Like there's, you know, there's some guys that we like in this senior class that he saw come out in between innings and catch three pitches in between innings two years ago, their sophomore year. And he's like, oh, I really like how this kid catches. Like, let's put him on the list and just follow him. Or he'll see a kid in pregame who's, you know, a six foot three and sophomore. Like, okay, we're just going to put him on the list and follow him and just see what happens to him. So even though like, you're not a senior and that's the time to be recruited or whatever for junior college. Like we've got freshmen on a, on a follow list right now. And those freshmen may not have even been playing in the game. They were just warming up or in that. I mean, yep. I'm, I'm so happy you shared that. It just goes to show that literally somebody is watching, even if you're not even in the starting lineup. The only reason I got to go play division one baseball is because the school that I went to came and watched an opponent who's now my hitting coach, which is awesome. But he was a really good player. And so they came to watch him and they saw me play too. And without him being on that team, I would have never had the opportunity to play at a Division One school. You were at New Orleans, right? Yeah, I played at University of New Orleans. Yep. And then majored in human performance? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I didn't know what I wanted to do. And when I was at South Mountain, I went to South Mountain Community College first. I just took a bunch of classes. And when I went to, to New Orleans, I was like, hey, let's just put me in, let's major in PE. So I was majoring in PE and I had to take a kinesiology class and you had to write like a, I was taking it in the summer and you had to write like a 150 page paper on like 
a specific sports movement and I had just had shoulder surgery. So I missed like the first two or three days of, of summer school because I was flying back to New, or New Orleans after having, having shoulder surgery. And I was like, there's no way that I can do this. Yeah. So I just went to my advisor and so just put me in something that's going to get me a degree. And so I got my degree in, in human performance. And it's kind of funny though, because now like I use human performance all the time. Yeah. Totally. I mean, hundred percent. Yeah. It's worked out. <laughs> so just to, to wrap everything up here and I, I want to, I got one more question I want to ask you, but junior college baseball is, is something that you need to look into if you're, you know, playing high school baseball and you want to play at the college level. The competition is, it's the real deal. I would say, I would even argue and say that there's several junior college baseball teams that could beat division one college baseball teams. And that's a hundred percent a fact. I think anybody would, would agree with that who, who has watched both sides of it. And then lastly, my, my last question for you, you've now seen JUCO players. You've coached a long time. Do you have any any stories of guys who who maybe they came to you and you were like, man, I don't know if this kid's even going to make it two years or he may make it, but I don't know if he's going to be able to play past this. And then they, they just surprise the heck out of you. Something happens and they end up transferring to a four-year school. Like, do you have any stories of guys who, who ended up like taking advantage of the junior college route and making the most of it? Yeah, we've got a number of guys, actually. Like, if I go off of last year's team, you know, our shortstop, his name is Crew Park, was our shortstop for two years. And, and you know, he, he comes in and you can, he's, he's undersized. He's five, eight, five, nine. But you can see, like, this kid's a field rat. He's just a baseball rat, loves the game. Non-recruited out of high school. You know, some of that was because of COVID. You know, he was a senior in 2020. So that impacted some some things there. But he played for us for two years and was our everyday guy for two years at shortstop and, um, you know, at the end of it gets a huge scholarship to go to Abilene Christian and he should uh, probably start at short or second base for him this year. And, and he was a guy who didn't, didn't really, didn't really get recruited out of high school by me, by many teams other than the junior colleges, the same kid from last year's team, a kid named Tally Wright. He threw 21 innings in high school. He, he hardly threw. He went to Hamilton high school was one of the best high schools in Arizona. They're, they're, they're pretty loaded every year. So opportunities just weren't there as much as maybe at some other high schools. And he came in and his COVID year was the first year. So he was here for three years and he was an All-America last year. Through 86 innings, struck out 95 guys. And now he's at Cal State Bakersfield. He'll be one of their weekend guys. Without going to junior college, I don't, I don't know that he's that guy. I had another kid named Taylor Peterson. This is a number of years ago. He was a football player in high school. Left-handed pitcher, didn't really throw a lot in high school. Funky arm action, funky delivery. It was kind of like whatever. He came in and Hannah's like, oh man, are we going to be able to do anything with this kid? Uh, he was 84, 85 when he came in and he left here throwing 95, 96 and went to LSU. So like, the, there's huge development that happens at the junior college side. And it's a, it's a lot of fun getting guys to be able to figure stuff out and, and be able to do some things. And we got a kid who's, who's in professional baseball right now. His name's Tristan Peters, really good player from Canada, but he came down from Canada. So he came to junior college, played here for two years, was a really good hitter, went to Southern Illinois, hit in the middle of the lineup for them, and then got drafted out of Southern Illinois. And now last year he got traded from the Brewers to the Giants. And then this summer, this offseason got traded to the Rays, but he's a prospect in their system. He started in junior college. It happens all over the place, not just here. It happens in our conference. It happens at a lot of junior colleges 
where this can be a really, really good stepping stone for players. I think if, if parents and players can get past their ego of saying, I'm going to a junior college, it can be a very, very rewarding experience for players. I'm biased because I'm a junior college player and without, without playing at junior college, I would not have been able to play at a division one school. I graduated high school at 5'10", 150 pounds. Wow. <laughs> two years of junior college were, were huge for me. I, I grew two inches. I put on 25 pounds in the two years. I went from being a small left-handed hitting second baseman to a third baseman, to a pitcher, to a first baseman, to then getting a division one opportunity to play. You know, I, I pitched and played first base and some outfield that I had never done in my life. But without junior college baseball, I would not have, I would not have had those opportunities. So I, again, I'm biased. I think junior college is awesome. And it's, it's fun because as a coach, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not getting paid to, to win or lose. Like I'm not going to get fired here because I didn't win enough baseball games, which takes the pressure off that. Now, of course I want to win. Winning is number one. We, we need to win. But more importantly is, is how can I impact our players' lives? Like, how can we do that long-term? So, and I think there's a lot of junior college coaches out there who, who are quality, quality coaches who take that same approach. So I don't think junior college is something to be frowned upon. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really, really good opportunity for players. And, and like you said, there's some junior colleges who can be division one programs. No doubt. Our, in our conference, Central Arizona plays Arizona State every fall. And I think the last two falls, they beat Arizona State. Now, granted, it's a fall baseball game, and, and it's not real baseball in, in a lot of ways. Um, so there's that. But they're just as talented. They, they can do those things. And here's the other advantage that junior college baseball can offer you instead of a four-year school, right? Four-year schools are limited to, what, two scrimmages outside against outside competition every fall. We're allowed 14 dates, right? So we have 14 dates where we can play other schools. So with dates, that makes it very, it's not games, it's dates, right? Mm-hmm. And so we played Central Arizona this, this fall, 18 innings. We played Cochise, 18 innings. We played South Mountain. We had a nine-inning game at our field and a nine-inning game at their field. We've done that with a number of schools. We did that. 18 days with Paradise Valley. So, you know, you're going to get 14 dates against outside competition. You're not going to scrimmage your own players 15, 16 times in the fall. You can really evaluate how good you are as a program, how good you are as a player. As coaches, it's great because I can see, our, okay, you get used to facing our guys every day, but how do you do against Central Arizona's pitching? Can you face those hitters and, and, and compete? Like there's a lot of really, really good advantages to being at a junior college. Again, I'm biased. I love it. Um, it's a good place. Yeah, no, I mean, you may be biased, but you have the, the, the data in a sense to back up why you should be biased because it's, it's worked, right? I mean, you just gave several stories of players who, who because of junior college went on to, to play and at four-year schools. And you bring up a great point that I didn't even talk about is the, is the development piece to this whole thing. I don't care who you are, and I know my background's more so hitting, but you have to have at-bats to get better. Like, you need to be able to get live at-bats against pitchers to, to get better in, in a game-like environment. And so, at, at, you know, you just mentioned 14 different days that you can go and do that against 
some of the, the, the top arms in, you know, around, that's huge. That's huge from a development yeah. standpoint. But man, I tell you what, everyone, uh, John Watson, he's a humble man. He won't tell you, but he's also an incredible pitching coach. So we'll have to get him back on the podcast and, and just do a pitching only episode sometime. But John, I appreciate you coming on the show today, man. And, and best of luck this season. Awesome. Thanks, Patrick. I appreciate being on, man. Thank you for listening to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media, text it to a friend, email it to another coach. This podcast is going to grow by word of mouth faster than any other way. And I need your help in order to make that happen. So if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with somebody. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back with another brand new episode next week.